Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and this week I'm joined by Alan Peters where we discuss his time at Target and his logo design process too. But before we get into that, I want to thank Webflow who have sponsored this episode. If you're a designer, you need a website, uh, a place where you can show off your work, add case studies, share your story, your knowledge. That way you can direct a potential client to learn more about you and see examples of your work. I've met designers who only post on Instagram or Behance or Dribble, but the issue with those is that you don't control the experience. Also, and more importantly, you are one of many designers on those platforms. So if you send a client over to Behance, do you know what they can do? They can easily, easily find another better designer. So why would you do that? But when you have your own website, you control the experience and you're the only designer in the room. You're the only designer on that website. So if they like your work, you will get the inquiry. But if you're anything like me, you don't know how to write code. And personally, I have almost zero interest in learning to write code. Designers, we're used to visual software like Photoshop, Sketch, Figma. But the issue is that these platforms don't output production code. But that's where Webflow can help. It gives designers the power of code in a visual interface, allowing you to directly build whatever you have in mind without writing a line of code. It's how I've built my own website and it's how I also now build clients' websites too. And I, I highly recommend that you check it out for yourself. I genuinely feel that this is the best tool for building websites here today. So to learn more about Webflow, head to wfl.io forward slash logogeek and for the first 50 who use the promo code LOGOGEEK, you'll be able to get 10% off any new annual plan. So as mentioned on the podcast this week, I'm joined by Alan Peters. I came across Alan only recently. I was scrolling through Instagram and I came across one of those top 10 favorite logo designers posts. And one of the names on that list was Alan Peters. As I wasn't familiar with Alan, I did a search, I found his Instagram account and was blown away by his logo design work. It's all so well executed. It's just stunning work. You can tell he's been doing this for a while and is a master of his craft. I became an immediate fan. So being the Logo Geek podcast, I knew right away that I wanted to get him on the podcast to deep dive into his logo design process and to learn more about his career as a designer. So I was so happy when he kindly agreed to come on. Alan's done just about every kind of design job you can imagine. He's worked for large and small design agencies. He's worked in advertising. He's worked uh, for an in-house design team and he's worked for himself too. So that's where the discussion starts. One of Alan's most significant positions was working uh, for the in-house design team at Target. And at Target, 
Alan did some stunning work. So we also discuss his time at the company too. But as Alan now focuses primarily on logo design and has been operating his own design studio, Peter's Design Company, for more than five years, we spend the bulk of the time talking about Alan's logo design process. We also discuss how Alan now focuses on providing a niche design style and end the conversation talking about his love for badge hunting and how you can do the same. Researching for this interview, I came across a superb video, uh, which is a recording of a talk that Alan did where he shares examples of his design work. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And also uh, in the interview, we talk about Alan's process, as I mentioned. And Alan has been kind enough to provide an incredible document showing examples of a few things we mentioned, including announce list, uh, sketch examples, and, and how those sketches become a logo design system. You'll learn more about that later in the interview, but it's super inspiring stuff. So do make sure you check that out. You can find them in the show notes by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 96. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Alan Peters. You've worked in an agency, you've worked in-house for Target, and now you're working for yourself under Peter's design company. That's right. So you've worked in all types of positions, so in-house agency and independent. And I know in the design space, especially younger designers, they're never sure which option to take. And since you've been in all of those situations yourself, would you mind sharing what was your personal experience with that? And was there any like pros and cons of, of each one of those? Um, I, I remember getting the advice when I graduated college or when I was graduating in my portfolio class. Uh, one of my professors had suggested that um, if you're jumping out in the field, that in terms of money um, to, to not stay at any place for too long, you know, a year or two years, something like that. Get, get some experience, get some things in your book, and then jump because you'll get a lot bigger bump than if you try and stay there and get your, you know, three to 5% raises, if that, you know, each year. Or if you're jumping, you know, you're getting like a 10 to 20K jump, you know, each time. And so they're like, you know, like your first four or five jobs, just, you know, that, that first 10 years of your career, you know, keep just jump, 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 jump until you glass ceiling out at, at your, um, at, at a higher salary. And then from there on, you know, then you're, you know, it's more slow uh, progression into it's more of like uh, title roles and things like that that, that you're moving, mm-hmm. changing. But, uh, you know, how, how that applies at the same time while you're doing that, my strategy, you know, coming out of school was to really um, I, I don't think it was necessarily that going into it. But um, overall, I mean, especially when you look back on it, I worked at, you know, more than just an agency in-house and um, independent. I've also like from the agency part, I worked at uh, boutique shops. I worked, I worked at a 30 person design firm. I worked at a three person like me, him and his wife design firm, like a small little special boutique shop. Uh, I worked at a, a marketing place that created all sorts of um, sites and stuff that created, lo- it was like loyalty marketing. <laughs> I even did that for a little bit and, you know, worked at BBDO, which is a big global ad agency. 
So, you know, so switching from design into uh, learning how to be not just a designer at, at an ad agency, but I wanted to design ads in, in commercials and, and I, I read books and, and figured out how to be an ad guy, which is in a sense, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a different profession. And, um, and then, you know, like every time I was making these switches, you know, and, and making these jumps, I was learning a lot too, where the end goal was, um, like my, my wife, her and I, we, we've known each other since I, I was working at my first job out of school and she was still in college. And while she'd be studying and doing her homework, uh, she'd always come and, uh, she'd like spend the night, sleep on the couch at, at my first job. And, and we'd always talk about our dreams and our future and, you know, what we're going to, and that was before we were even married, mm-hmm. um, uh, about, you know, like what, what the future would hold. Cause I, I would always work a lot of late hours there, just not necessarily cause I had to, but because I was young and, and I didn't have kids and, I just love designing. I always have. I yeah, still I understand. I just get excited. I just want to make something the best it can be. And so then she, she'd be working on her homework and then she'd end up pass, <laughs> passing out while I'm just like still working until like two in the morning. Um, but while I was working, a lot of times we'd be chatting and, and we always talked about having our own shop, our own design firm. And, you know, do we want it to be big? Do we want it to be small? So as I was going along, you know, like one thing is like, you know, you're trying to increase your salary. One thing is you're trying to like refine your portfolio and get this collection of work that makes it so you can get more work, you know, because, you know, jumping in, you know, like, like for me right now as an independent agency, the fact that I can be like, hey, look, I I rebranded Target multiple times, you know, I I, I designed their bags and stuff, you know, that that helps a lot when, you know, a a medium sized client comes along and says, wow, you did that and you worked with Google and you worked with, it's like anything else. If you can show that you can do it, uh, you'll get more work of, of that type. Um, but then at the same time, you know, I was also learning how each of these different companies worked, you know, how does a marketing company work? How do, how, how do they get new business? You know, how does a a design agency work ad agency learning all sorts of different types of skills, learning, uh, how to be, how to work with copywriters at ad agency, you know, how to, how to, how creative directors work, uh, the strategy, um, like learning all these details. And then, uh, there was a lot to learn about working in-house at target because, um, that job, all of a sudden I didn't have a client anymore. You know, I, I was the client and I was creating work for other people who I guess were the client, you know, marketing people at target, but it's not like they could fire me. (laughs) And like, if I, if I push back on something, I was like, (laughs) that's not the best idea. We shouldn't revise like that revision is going to ruin it. you know, I, I, I was not afraid to, to really push for the best quality product, you know, just really, really push hard. And, and I learned how to do it in a very respectful way. But because of that, you know, jumping out of that and running my own design firm now, um, not that I'm like, aggressive or or like, difficult to work with with clients at all. You know, I've learned how to work well with them. But then also to really guide them and not be afraid to share my opinions and not um, because a lot of these small design firms that I worked for, you know, they would be They'd get a revision and, you know, they're like, well, let's just make it like there would be no question about whether or not they would, even if it completely ruined the project, it, it was less about that. It was more like, hey, we got to get paid at the end of this and we want to get another job out of this client. And and I, I just want to make the best damn work I can make, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I, I love that you said that at each job, even when you worked in-house, mm-hmm. you picked up all of these skills and... I see so many young designers 
they just want to start their own thing. They, they want to be like you, you know, they're, they're looking up to what you're doing and, and other designers that are independent and they want to be the same. But I, I think in, if you want to be the very best that you can be, the, the only way that you can really do that is by learning from other people and, and picking up those skills. So working for an agency or in-house or a team in some way and you can pick up all of those skills because I bet that you wouldn't have or you wouldn't be able to create such a successful uh, agency without having worked for um, all these different type of companies and picking up all these different skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of the skills that I learned at all these different places were there were skills on how to run a company, how, how to write contracts properly, like, yeah, I, all these things, you know, how, how to sell work through, like how to, how to get a client excited about something or to, or to veer them away from something that might not be the best direction in, in a way that, um, you know, like that it's not Jedi mind trick them <laughs> in any way, shape or form, but to, to just help shepherd them to, uh, to make sure that they get something that's going to be successful for them. Cause a lot of the times, especially if you're working with a startup or somebody who's never designed a brand or a logo before, you know, it, it, if you let them guide it and, and you don't take the reins and and take all this experience and the strategy that you've learned over the years to help them create something very successful, you're 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 not you're not helping them then because they're you're just leaning on somebody who has no experience doing this and and they you know, it, you're not going to end up with as good a quality of product. And the, it might feel really good. They might be really excited until it goes out in the market and it fails miserably. <laughs> and it, not that it always does, but if you've never done it before, you, you're kind of shooting from the hip. With, with the younger designer thing that you were saying where they're like, hey, you know, they, they might like look up to, you know, like uh, the, the uh, independent designer and say, hey, I want to do that right out of school. It, you can do that. There are ways to successfully do that. The trick is, it's not only showing that you can do the work and having the high quality work, but usually the high quality work will come because you're able to sell through the high quality work. Cause you can have a lot of made up projects that look great, but actually having them and having them produced for a client is, it can be a, a very tricky thing because things can get, uh, you know, uh, chewed up a bit on the, <laughs> on the way through the, through oh, the yeah. mail, you know? Yeah. I, I, I've actually found personally, that when when you're quite young and you're new to graphic design you can actually create just as good work as you can when you're more experienced but I think one of the absolutely well I mean obviously you improve over time Mm -hmm. but I think one of the big things that makes more experienced people have better output is that they actually learn to communicate with clients and advise and direct and so on as you mentioned. So I I wouldn't mind going into that a little bit later on in the conversation, but I think since we're um, talking about these three different types of companies that that you worked on, I know you worked in-house and Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, prior to me hitting the record button, there is some, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but some negative thoughts around working in-house um i've done that myself i worked in-house for about five years for a medical company and i've also worked at an agency type place where you work with lots and lots of different clients so i can i can see the um 
I can see how one can look compared to the other. So you started off with agencies and um, I know you mentioned lots of different types, but you started with that and then you went and worked for Target, which is a a huge company. Mm -hmm. How did working in-house compare with working for like agencies and and working on lots of different types of things because i think one of the main concerns is that people are concerned that they could get bored working on uh, projects for the same client over and over and over again well target's a brand that i've always loved I, i've always I, as ever since I, they created this one spot it's called the sign of the times and it was created by pmh uh, for target and it was the first spot that had um like bullseye the dog in it and you know the the pattern bullseyes and just more of this conceptual uh design first uh style to it and they had never really done that at all in the past it was more just like hey there's another discount retailer uh, before that like kmart or um you know any of the the competitors that were existing at, at that point um, but you know, when PMH came around, they were doing some really beautiful work, winning a lot of rewards for it. You'd see it in communication arts and it was beautiful to look at successful. And, and a lot of agencies in Minneapolis had been working on target and I always wanted to work on it. And it just, I, it just didn't align with my path at that point. And the stigma at the time was that all the, all the good work was being created by agencies, uh, for target. And then in-house they would just like take that and flush it out into like take somebody else's design and, and do the production work on it and, and just make all the 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 pieces in-house and so that team was just used so they didn't have to pay a ton of money for production and i definitely was worried about that i heard that they were creating this in-house team that was going to be uh doing a lot more creative stuff and they shared a couple examples with me but they had just started doing that maybe a year before i got there and i was chatting with them because i was working at bbdo at the time and um I was creating some some pretty good work that I was proud of. I was, you know, working on uh, some of my first broadcast spots. I was, you know, flying out to L.A. and uh, uh, it was I was doing a lot of fun stuff that that was getting seen all across the world, you know, or at least all across the United States. It wasn't like for the most glamorous clients, but it was high profile and it was it was exciting. So that here comes uh, this this opportunity to go in house at Target, and I and I'm and I was I was worried about it, but there was uh, there's one fella who I'd followed for uh, a long time. His name is Aaron Melander. And he worked at a, a, a little boutique agency called Bamboo when he first started his career, uh, working for this uh, this very talented gal, uh, Kathy Serrano. And that team and everybody who worked there were just, it was like four or five people and every single one other than, I, I think there was like one person kind of managing everything but the design. And there was just, it was like four or five designers doing amazing award-winning work for every everything that they touched. And it was just beautiful. It, like if you look up bamboo design, you will find a, a ton of great stuff. They're not around anymore. Kathy decided she wanted to work. She's actually been working in-house places. But when when they decided to close their doors, and it wasn't because they weren't getting clients or anything. It was just I think Kathy didn't want to work on um, the the types of clients that they had opportunities to work on. And so she just wanted to be more selective. and And so she decided to do that. Aaron went and worked at Target. And I remember at the time when he went there, this was like before they started creating this in-house thing. I, I thought to myself, man, he must have been like desperate. Why, why did he go in-house and work at Target? Like, <laughs> like I, the in-house team, he's, what is he going to be doing? Production? Like this guy is, it's, he's like getting best of show in print magazine and stuff. And <laughs> he's so good, so talented. And he stayed there and he was like, I think he'd been there for two or three years. And, and I had lunch with him 
And he's like, oh yeah, it's just, he's like, right now they're at a transition period where everything just keeps getting better and better. Like they're bringing more and more work internally. And the more we prove ourselves, the more work we're getting from the agencies and the more it comes in-house because it's, you know, cost effective to do it in-house, mm-hmm. you know, versus mm-hmm. having an agency do it. So if you can get the talent in-house, that's the way to go. And he's like, work-life balance is better. There's a lot of great things about it. And and I decided, uh, you know, to take the plunge to try it out. I'd always wanted to work on Target. And I get there. And it's like the first year I was there, I got the opportunity to work on some of the most amazing projects, man. I One of them was they had been working on this uh this basically the rebrand for target like all the all the images that go on the outside of the store and they had been working on it for about a month at that point and i don't know if they'd shown concepts yet and but they're like we're showing them in about in a couple of days or or a week i'm like can i do something can i can i I, I please work on this (laughs) (laughs) and they're like yeah sure if you you can come up with something that quick go for it and you know i'm used to working at ad agencies working on pitches doing big like full campaigns like in a day or two (laughs) you know because that's what you do at ad agencies you're always like, uh-huh. working late into the night, just cranking out work. And so I, I, I made a ton of directions and and one of them ended up being the one that they created. And it was, it got in CA and it won a ton of awards. And oh man, it was like from there on, it's everything I worked on at Target was just, I got so many great opportunities. And it was it was such a cool experience. And, and it was this underdog mentality always. It was like, you're always going against the agencies and trying to win some work back from them. And and it was fun. I like, I, I enjoyed it. I always like the, I like the challenge of it. And, um, one of the cool things about working in house, just to break that stigma, at least that I found working at target was that, um, so much of the work that I, I created actually got produced because, uh, you know, usually when you're working at an agency or a design firm or this or that, there's so much you create that, that just never sees the light of day, you know? And, and it seemed like everything, every idea I had at target just kept getting made. It was so cool. And it, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a hard job to leave, but, um, when the time came to, to start our own firm, we, we jumped on it. We had the opportunity and did it. I can really hear in your voice how much you love that job and researching for this chat. I, I read a couple of, uh, interviews from around that time and, uh, it really seemed like it was the opportunity of a lifetime for you. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's incredible to hear that everything that you did so early on uh, was was actually used. Um, so you mentioned it then that uh, now you're working as an independent uh, graphic designer, and um, I believe that you're you've been doing that for around five years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mentioned to you uh, just before hitting that record button that I, I originally found out about you from uh, someone's top ten favorite logo designers list on on Instagram and after looking at your um, Instagram feed, I could see that you've designed uh, so many incredible logos. So I'm keen to make sure that we spend uh, a decent amount of time discussing uh, logo design and your approach to um, working on them. Absolutely. Um, so uh, am I right that you're uh, primarily focusing on logo design now or, or are you uh, doing other things as well? It's, it's a primary focus, you know, it, it usually there are other things, st- uh, you know, stem out of that. You know, if, if you do a logo design for somebody, chances are you're probably going to do some business cards or a, a brand book or you know, like other pieces, other elements. Um, yeah, sure. It, it, sure, we, used to, sure. We, we partner with brands and with agencies and stuff like that to create campaigns. But I, I'd say 75% of the work I do is, is focused, uh, you know, on logo 
and and illustration mainly logos sure, sure. so would you mind sharing with us yes. how you would typically work and we spoke about it briefly earlier but you you started to talk about guiding the client and veering them away from bad ideas um so i'd like to go into that in some way within this conversation but could you share with us how you would typically approach working on a logo design project from that initial core through to the final thing absolutely so when you're in school at least when i was in school uh they taught you they're like hey you know if you're gonna create a logo for a client you know you, you talk to them get to know them make some notes maybe write a creative brief or something like that and then uh make sure they, they feel good about it and you know basically figure out who the target market is just the overall kind of vibe that they're looking for and then you vanish you know for a month and a half two months something like that and come back and say here's three logo concepts hopefully you like one of them right and then that's mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully they do or else you're going back and making more logos right uh and usually a couple a round or two a revision and that was the process and you know just in you know working at different places learning how different people did it reading different books on on logo design um i have come up with how i like to do it which works really good and usually uh you end up with a very good product in the end and the clients very happy about it and so first i uh after you know i start i talk to my client find out any information i need to know you know uh, in terms of the background yeah because they're to know their brand better than i'm gonna know it if they want to you know send me anything like anything that they've done research wise send it my way and then usually i'll find out you know competitors and a few a few of those types of things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, the key thing i start with is uh, a brand noun list and so i i strongly feel and especially with in the digital age that's important for a logo to have um, to have an icon, uh, and I, I know there's typographic logos that are you know it's just the type, or maybe the the concept or the idea happens within the typography, but the the problem comes along when you, when you have to put this thing in an avatar or squish it down on mobile, and you need to have just the you know uh, you have to have just that icon at seventy two by seventy two pixels. Um, because if you try and put those words that small, they're just going to turn into a blurry horizontal line. And so having that icon is is very important in a digital age. And and, and I think all brands should, if they don't already have one, usually they have to backtrack and they're like, oh, well, what are we going to put in that spot? You know, and then like somebody like Coca-Cola, they're like, well, we could uh, we could take our script logo on the bottle and silhouette it. And it, like they're trying to they're trying to create an icon, you know, by backpedaling. Uh, which which is a difficult thing to do, and it's like you want to do that upfront. You want that to be the hero, and then you want all of, all of your um, uh, the geometry and all the brand language to come out of the icon created. You know, so like the the width of the lines, if you're rounding corners, if you're doing sharp edges, if you're if you're doing inlining, all these things that you have within that icon that should inform the typography and all the illustrations and all the ads and and everything should come out of that mark itself, right? Mm-hmm. And so. When coming up with that mark, I say, uh, let's figure out what the subject matter could be. So I'm not creating, you know, three logos for you and and two of them have stars in them. And you don't want a logo with a star in it. And you didn't tell me that. And I didn't know that. And then all of a sudden you're stuck with this third one that you don't really like. And then we're doing 14 rounds of revision and frustrated. So 
Um, I, I say just make a list in any noun, person, place, or thing that could represent what this icon is going to be. Something that can be distilled down an icon. And I usually start, I start because by making a list myself, you know, what are, what are, you know, like 15 to 25 things that, that this mark could be. Uh, I try, I try not to be too picky at first, you know, try, try and get a lot of stuff on there. And I also, I, I had this question come up in a workshop I did last week. Um, somebody had asked like, you know, like, what if I'm working on something that's, like a consultancy, you know, where I'm helping people like how, like, you know, it's, it's not like if you're doing like an orange soda or something, you're like, Oh, an orange slice, an orange tree, you know, like orange peel, you know, like all these things that come really naturally, but you're like, okay, a consultancy, like <laughs> what I do for that. And so I'll come up with basically categories like, um, uh, maybe trustworthy is, is a keyword or, um, uh, you know, like the, the relationship of two things coming together. And so I'll create these categories and I'll train, create nouns, metaphors that could represent those, uh, those words in, in nouns. So like two things come together, you could have two overlapping shapes. Like that might be one of the things on my noun list or uh, in, interwoven lines. You know, I'll put some things in there, things that could be distilled down to an icon that could represent that idea. You know, if you're trying to do trustworthy, you know, like a shield. Um, uh, a lock or, or a skeleton key or, you know, like there's all, you know, there's so many things that, that it could be, right. It could be some sort of trustworthy animal. Um, and so I, I make this long noun list. I usually send, do mine first, send it to my client and I say, here's a place to get started. And I always have it in categories so that they have some categories to get their, their mind going. And I always tell them, don't spend more than like an hour or two on it, you know, just, just crank it out and, and uh, send me your list. And then if I'm working with like a whole bunch of people, like let's say I'm branding, like a branding a city and I'm working with a whole city council, you know, there's eight people. I have every single one of them make a brand noun list and I take all of them and I combine them all together and make a consolidate, consolidated list that's all categorized. And then I hop on the phone or meet in person and we narrow it down. And this is the key part because you could have all those like 60, 70 things that you came up with on this huge monster list. But the reality is when you're making your icons, you're probably going to use, you know, five of them or 10 of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And if the client doesn't like those 10, but they like the other 10, you know, then, <laughs> then you're just, why would you do the, the process in the first place? Right. So this narrowing down is so key to find out what the stuff that the client doesn't want to see. That's like the whole point of the, of the brand noun list to get the stuff off there. Like, you know, if they don't like stars, get stars off there right away, you know? And, and really get this thing shrunk down to 10 to 15. And honestly, I've gone down to like three with some clients. You know, if they're laser focused and they're like, you know what, I want I want uh, water and I want a tree and some sort of shoreline, I can easily create icons out of that. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that you could maybe share an example of that that I can put in the show notes for this episode? Yeah, I, I can send you a PDF. And, or, or Yeah, that, no, I think that would be really useful because I... I I haven't heard it described as a noun list before, but I, I've seen a lot of uh, logo designers do like word mapping where mm. they write a word in the middle and do associated words like that. But actually, this is a nice way of um, doing it. But when you say that you're categorizing it, I think that's where it would be nice to see an example just to understand how you are um, grouping these words into different things for your client. Yeah, I, I can just really quickly, you know, talk through it too. Like, let's say you're doing, sure, yeah, yeah, and, and sure. you want to represent people in some way. I'd have a category that said people, and then I could put in there holding hands, uh, you know, a human silhouette, somebody running, somebody jogging, you know, like all these different things like that all classify under uh, people, 
you know, and so that could be the, that could be one of the categories, you know, nature, you know, like, let's say the city has a lot of nature in it. So you might have trees, leaves, acorns, squirrels, deer, whatever, you know, like all these things would be classified under, you know, it, you can classify it whatever you want. It just sometimes it's nice to have things bucketed. It could just be a laundry list, but if you're dealing with like 15 to 20 things, so it doesn't get too complicated to read through really quick for a client, because you want to make you want to make the process as smooth as smooth as possible. One of the things I learned at Target is you want to sell good work. You try and make the deck so simple that like it, it's like a, a children's book for like a five year old, you know, like only like five to 10 words on each page. Really simple you know, like one key image. So you're not distracted by like 40 things and 40 bullet points because nobody's going to read that in a presentation. And so the same thing, it's like you have an attention span with your client. Like how do you, how do you simplify and make this as easy as possible for them to digest it so that it's functional? So anyhow, so that we got our brand non lists, right? And, and they're, you get approved by your client. I got to, you know, I am feeling good about it. And usually when I'm narrowing it down, I'm really guiding, guiding that process to make sure we get rid of let's say they, if they add some things on there that I'm like, that's just going to be difficult to make a mark out of. Usually I'm, I'm, I'm working that stuff out of there really quick too. So sure. that I they can. understand why I wouldn't do that specific thing. And I can explain it right there. And so then we got, we got our final list. And then I, I do, a lot of people don't do this. Uh, I, I do 15 full on uh, vector sketches, you know, but basically icons of what the icons could be. I, I usually do them in black and white. And, uh, I, a lot of times people say like, you know, maybe do, you know, create many, many of these things, but don't ever show your client that much. You're going to overwhelm them. But I, I really find that this is so helpful for me because there's been so many times I've presented like, you know, in the past where I've presented three or four logos and the clients been like, oh, you know, there's, I had this idea. I really wish it was something like this. And I've already made that one. I just pull it out. I'm like, like this. And they're like, yes, why didn't you show me that one? <laughs> 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 and I've usually usually made it, you know, and and I, I try and make sure that all 15 of those are logos that I feel really good about. Um, and one of the things that helps sell them through, especially if you're selling it through like a big, you know, a whole lot, a lot of people is to have the brand nouns that you're using from your initial list. Usually I start the deck with here's my brand noun list that we approved. And then when I go through each mark, I'll have bulleted like here are the brand nouns I'm, that are being portrayed in this icon. So in case I'm not there to present it myself, they can, they can quickly make that association. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So, so you're presenting 15. Yep. How, how are you showing each of these? Do you, are, are you presenting them like 15 on a slide or are you, are you showing them one at a time individually and running through each one as a separate thing? Well, I, I like to present, um, I usually will show uh, white on, or black on white, white on black for each one and work my way through and, and talk through the idea behind each one as I'm going through it. And then right at the end, the last slide is all of them together. I'll have them all white and black and then black and white. And if they have some brand color initially or whatever, that's when I'll have a slide with all of them in that color. And, and then I'll stop and that's where we'll have our discussion and really like compare them and, and you know, just feel how people are feeling in their gut, you know, and that way you can see things side by side too. I think that's valuable, you know, especially if you're presenting over the phone. I just want to take a short break to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Webflow. Webflow gives designers the power of code in a visual interface, allowing you to directly build whatever you have in mind without the need for engineers. 
Webflow's whole thesis is that designers are used to learning complex visual software like Photoshop, Sketch, Figma, and so on, but none of those tools actually output production code. Webflow takes that next step by bringing the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript into a visual interface so we designers can build completely custom designs without worrying about writing code. Webflow's rich interactions and animations toolset allows you to bring your designs to life with advanced features like parallax scrolling, uh, mouse cursor-based animation triggers, custom keyframe, and after effects-based animations too. To learn more about Webflow, head to wfl.io forward slash logogeek. And for the first 50 who use the promo code logogeek, you'll be able to get 10% off any new annual plan. So let's get back to the interview. It's been interesting through the podcast because I've interviewed lots of different graphic designers. Some present one, some present, you know, two or three. Aaron Draplin presents like 200. <laughs> um, 15 is a lot, yeah. I, I, I think. Do you, do you find it's problematic showing as many as that? I mean, I, I assume not because you're still doing that. But to me, it sounds like an awful lot of logos to show and your risk running into this situation where you're going to have the client go, I like that, I like that bit of that, I like that bit of that. Can you mash those together in some way and create something new? Do you, do you ever face that issue? Uh, that issue, I would find happens a lot when you're presenting finished looking logos, usually ones with typography right. and full systems. They were like, oh, I like the type from that one with the icon from that one. That's usually what the Frankensteining sure. is that happens. Usually it's, yeah, it's, sure. it's like pairing these two elements. But when you're when you're presenting these really simple, minimal icons, it's kind of hard to mash them together, you know? And so have I ever had that happen? Um, yes, I, it's, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, probably like f- 5% of the time, maybe, maybe. And usually I can talk to the client. I, I can, I can tell quickly if it's going to work or not. You know, I, if sure. I'm looking at sometimes, sometimes it makes for something better. Um, and if for some reason it doesn't, or if, or if I'm not sure and I, and I knock it out and I think it's awful, I'll tell my client, I'll say that's, it didn't work out, man. <laughs> um, I, I had, I had that with a client, uh, recently where I was like, yeah, I did what you asked to do. And man, it looks, it, it's not working. And like, they'll look at it like, <laughs> oh, it, it, as long as you guide them and you show them and you're honest with them. Sure. Can, sure. So h- how do you narrow down 15 with a client? Okay. So, um, when I'm creating an icon, just one more part about that is usually I'm combining multiple uh, of the nouns together. Usually it's multiple ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, for firecraft pizza, it's a, it's a pizza slice where the negative space of the fire is, you know, part of the pizza. It's, it's a couple of things where I'm mm-hmm. finding visual overlap and combining them. Um, it's usually not just like, hey, it's, it's a golf ball and I created a golf ball. You know, it, usually it's, uh, it's a golf ball and it's a negative space of, you know, a letter or something. Um, usually there's some sort of visual uh, combination and then uh, to answer your question, you know, like to narrow it to three, uh, that, that presentation, when I get down to that last slide with the 15 on it, I tell them, you know, like you don't have to make a decision right now, but if you had to pick, um, your top three or there's everybody in the room, like, you know, sometimes I'll do that. If I, if I have a ton of people, I'll, I'll do the old, like, 
you know, write down a piece of paper, like, cause I'll have letters or numbers with each of them. I'll say like, just for yourself without looking at anybody else's, write down the three that you feel are the strongest, just, just in your gut. And, and cause a, a logo, a logo, I, it's not going to have somebody explain it if it's out there in the wild. They're going to like it or not, usually based off your gut or, you know, like if it's been out there for a long time, some whatever brand, uh, you know, ideation, you know, that goes around it. But you know, the first time you see it, you're, you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. And it's going to be you that feels that way. Not somebody who's going to be like, hey, did you see this logo? It really sucks. Unless you're a graphic designer, then then you're going <laughs> to hear a lot, a lot of other people's opinions. But if you're just like shopping at a store or something and you come across a logo, you're going to have a feeling one way or the other about that mark and it's going to be your feeling and so i just i I try and like feel out the room and kind of see what people are leaning towards um and usually that i can help guide them a little bit at that point and then i always tell them to take you know take take a day or two and think about it and then come back and with with what you feel that you want to move forward with and sometimes they i always tell them to pick three and then i take those three and do full-on brand like modular systems where it's like hey you got the icon horizontal one for like mobile vertical or stack if if it makes sense also maybe like a badge or like some sort of like more complicated basically from extremely simple to extremely complex in a full system that so you have a whole bunch of stuff to work with um and i'm creating that for all three of them but i guess gosh i just had a client uh i was working with um called fm and uh it was it was feathers featherston media and they were they're just narrowing their name down to fm they got fm.net and I was like, how often do you get that lucky that you get, you get to do a logo for something with only two letters? You know, it's, you can make it so bold. And, and mm-hmm. I, they picked an awesome mark where the icon is the letters, but not in a cheesy way, in this really beautiful abstract way. And that was the whole system. I mean, there's no system to go with that. It's just that the, the letters are there. It's small. It fits great and I, as an icon, as an avatar. It's easy to like, it has a brand language you can create patterns out of. And and the best part about it is I presented the 15 and they came back. They're like, we're going with that one. <laughs> they're like, wait, you don't have to do it. And it was, it was like the easiest logo process ever. Oh, so great. I love it when that happens. I know. I've, I've had that a couple of times. To be fair, it's usually with quite small clients that just... Yeah trust me mm-hmm. and and like, i love that go with it mm-hmm. and uh i normally still develop it further just because i i i i always like to do that so i i think you it sounds like you do similar so i like to present work that's about 95 percent complete i i don't see the point in like polishing it 100 percent and making sure that the kerning's 100 percent perfect I, i'll do all that yep. kind of fine tuning prior to preparing the final files but um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Saves a lot of time. Absolutely. Um, they end up with a really nice system. It works well. Um, usually, uh, if if they, usually they need more pieces and stuff, so the the relationship just kind of builds from that point. But that's mm-hmm. the starting process. I've got I got a, like a locked fee that I usually charge for that. You know, uh, that's because it's the same same exact thing. You know, I just like I have my go to number. You know, the little guys it scares them. The big guys, I usually let them tell me how much they want to pay because it's usually more. Mm. And then <laughs> and then the the medium guys, it's it's right, it's right at their level. So sure, sure. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. And I, I think for listeners, because I mean we're we're speaking about something that's quite visual. Yeah. To look at examples, um, there's a fantastic talk on your website that I'll link to in the show notes where you do actually share 
um, a, a few projects that you worked on and, and it shows examples of these systems that you develop based on that symbol and, and how you're working that out. So I, I think people can go and uh, check that video out um, because surprisingly our time is flying. We've already done like 45 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary how quick time flies. Yeah. Um, so in relation to your work, mm-hmm. there's something that I've noticed about your work and and you you say on your website that you offer a distinctive design style and you you can tell looking through the bulk of your work Mm -hmm. there are similar characteristics between all of it like you you own a specific aesthetic that you offer to clients Mm -hmm. so I'm curious to know are you creating a specific style to intentionally attract a specific type of work or is that just your style and it's just naturally developed in that way i'm i'm specifically going after it and so i'll uh one of the things i I, i've always done in my career is i'll work on passion projects things i I feel good about on the side ways that i can uh kind of flex my creative skills and do the type of work that i love doing um where i'm not being uh constrained by a client and and i can really um like anything else, it's it's you dress for the job you want. You know, it's the, the, you yeah. make the design work for the type of design work you want to get. And so, uh, I actually did a video recently on my Instagram where I, I share these uh, two posters I created for uh, um, R Crank, which is a, a poster bike show, and uh, it's it's been in Paris, uh, in many of the cities, and in, in the United States. But it's all started here in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, by Charles Yule, and. Uh, to these posters that I did, they were it was kind of these fictitious bike gangs, not and not like motorcycle gangs, but uh, bicycle gangs, which is really <laughs> pretty dumb. And which I, which I, I did on purpose, and I, I tried to name all these uh, different bike gangs after uh, different uh, neighborhoods and different roads and different icons around the city. And and so uh, basically, the the whole point of the project, I, I had um, b- both these posters have twelve badges on them with like a big scripty badge overprinted right over the top of them. And they look really cool. It's like, here's all these, it's like the, the one over the top will be like Minneapolis bike gangs. And there's a St. Paul bike, bike gangs. And then, it, then all the badges are all the different gangs. The purpose of that, that poster. Yeah. Yeah. It's like great. I'm making a poster for a thing and you know, so you sell some posters, but the main point was like, I want to get a bunch of badges in my portfolio. Cause I like making badges. And I only I had created like, <laughs> I don't know, like four or five, six of them or something at that time. And, and all of a sudden, after I did those two projects, I had uh, 26 more badges in my portfolio. And <laughs> and it, you get a lot of calls and a lot of work based off that type of thing. You know, like all of a sudden it's like, hey, ESPN needs a bunch of badges for, uh, you know, these articles that they're working on. Or um, some outdoor company needs a badge for like their ATV trailers, it, whatever it is. You know, it, <laughs> uh, there's, th- there's definitely uh, purposes for those types of things. And that said, you know, just... Since we're on the subject of badges, I don't feel like a badge is a perfect solution for every brand at all. But uh, I do like making them, and so I I make a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think, and uh, it's been addressed on this podcast so yeah. many times, and I want to stress it again mm-hmm. now: showing the type of work that you want to attract is the way to go. Yes. Um, I I remember in my. I, uh, I'll share a story with you Lovely. in the audience. So 
I worked in in web for a long time. So I worked for an e-commerce web design agency and I wanted to get out of that. And um, I applied for this job for this company in London. And I was all excited about what they did because they did loads of print design work. And I didn't have any print design work in my portfolio. So I went to that interview and we went through my portfolio. And the first thing she said was, oh, we'd love to do more of this type of thing. And (laughs) it just made me realize like, if I don't want to do that, I shouldn't show it. And it doesn't matter how big the client is. You just need to take it out of your portfolio because whatever you show, you're going to get more of that. So it, it, I mean, you've done it. um, uh, So many guests that I've spoken to have Mm -hmm. done this. They created fictional projects or intentionally targeted specific type of Mm -hmm. clients so that they have projects to show that it's the type of work that they want to do. And then, you know, when someone wants something like what you've done, they go with you because they can see that you can do that type of work. So it, it, it sounds obvious, but at that time, I didn't know. I, I wanted a job working in more print and I thought I'd show what I've already done. And uh, actually what I should have done was created a load of fictional print-based projects and went in and go, look how good I am at print-based that's design cool. work. You should hire me. Yeah, that's a good story. Um, and so like lately I've been, I've been working on a shop for my, uh, for my website and I, I started in April and I've got probably 80 products on there right now. Cause I just, it, like, it, it's so fun for me. Like making these projects and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I already got a portfolio full of stuff. I'm going to get this type of work. You know, that, that's, it's less about that. It's more of um, a good example is you ever hear of aesthetic apparatus? They're these poster designers. I have they're, they're out of Minneapolis. They're um, amazing, amazing designers. And their posters like won tons and tons of awards and, and all that kind of thing. But I don't think they even, if they submitted them in every poster show, like they or, or every award show, they would be winning stuff constantly. But I just don't think they need to. It's like one of those things where like their their work is just that good. And I, I remember I was talking to them one day, and I was like, "How do you do it? Like, how do you make a living? You know, just doing gig posters." And he's like, "Oh, we do all sorts of stuff." He's like, "These are basically this is our PR. These are our giant business cards." <laughs> and so we make these gig posters and then we sell them online. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, I, we're getting new clients that way. You know, people are seeing our work that way and they're seeing like how, us flexing our skills. And then like all of a sudden, like absolute calls them up and says, Hey, we're doing this, this campaign with all these ads where, uh, you know, like the backgrounds are done by different artists, you know, things like that. And, and we would love to have one that has that aesthetic apparatus look and, the same thing for like all this kind of stuff, like all your work. It's like that's it's your kind of calling card. So people are going to see it, whether it's on Pinterest, whether it's online, you know, Behance or wherever. They're going to they're going to they're going to see that stuff. And they're going to, you know, like when like General Motors is working on this big project and they're like, they're like, oh, you know, what that reminds me of that reminds me of that thing I saw on Behance the other day. Who did that? You know, and you're like that would that would be perfect, that style, you know, and, and that art director is going to go dig up your work and and give you a call. And so, yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put out there what you like and yeah. And if you love doing that, that kind of work, you know, making fictitious, like, like, well, these products I'm making aren't fictitious. They're products that I've been selling. And, um, but man, I just, I just like doing it. It's, it's, 
it's like when I was in high school, like I, when, I, when I was in high school, I would I would draw in all my classes. I, I didn't do great in high school because I, I would like I would sit there drawing while the, while the teacher was talking. I would get so <laughs> distracted by because I, I just love, love, love to draw and I love to make stuff. And I love drawing the, the kind of things I want to draw, you know, and the, the same thing with this, man. I just I, I love design and I love making cool design that that like if I'm going to make a hat, I want a hat that I want to wear. I want to be the best damn hat I've ever designed in my life, you know. <laughs> Like the hat that I would want to find at a store where, where I'd see it and be like, yes, I need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And showing off on Instagram, other people see it and then you get more work Absolutely. like that. We've got about mm, six, seven minutes yeah. left of our time. And we, we can go on a little bit longer if you're happy to. But I earlier watched a talk that was on your website about badge mm. hunting. And um, I mentioned about this video already, so I'll link to it in the show notes. But badges and badge hunting, that kind of seems to be one of your things based on uh, reading through lots of things that you've done. Would you mind sharing uh, what badge hunting is and and how you go about doing this? I I think it's brilliant. Um, It's similar to what Aaron Draplin does, but I'd love to hear how you tend to approach this type of thing. I, it, when I was talking earlier about learning different skills at different shops and things like that, I was mainly talking about learning like the business side, of, like that 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 skill set. But in terms of uh, learning design skills, I, I think a lot of designers do it the same way. They're learning from they're learning from other designers. They're they're studying like the, yeah. the designers that they love and figuring like what fonts are they using. I, I want to know what that font is. You know what what like let's look at those color palettes. I love that color palette. Or I love that illustration style. I love the way that they illustrate hands or, you know, all these things, you know, they're making their collections, they're making their Pinterest boards, they're making their, um, their, their, um, dribble category, whatever they call them. <laughs> I don't know. They, they're all, yeah. all the websites <laughs> seem to have that now where basically you can, um, categorize and, and collect things and that way you can use them for mood boards and things later on. But, um, I, I, I remember spending like using that example, that aesthetic apparatus example, or like the local agency, there's like a wink, like all these different local agencies. I remember I studied and studied and studied all their work and figured out like why I liked it and the things that I loved about it. And I remember going on this interview once with this, uh, this fella, his name's Travis and he was, he worked at this agency called Mono and, and I was interviewing with him and he was like, I like your work. It's really good, but oh my goodness, it looks like Minneapolis design. And like, he's like, it's very like, because I think he, his style was more, uh, uh, more like international feeling. He, he had like, uh, more of a European flair to the, the work that he was doing. And, and my stuff looked, it, I, well, I, it was the, the people I love that were locals. Like, it was like all these, like Joe, Joe Duffy's and Charles Spencer Anderson and all the, everybody from <laughs> Minneapolis that I loved it. Like I just studied and studied mm-hmm. to figure out mm-hmm. how they did what they did. Right. And but that was early on in my career. And, and I was like, at, at, when he said, it, I was kind of like, I didn't know how to take it. And, and, but I, I thought about it for a while and it's like, yeah, I do need to be more broad about this. And I started studying other people from further out and like getting like more of a broader sense of an education, really lo- learning from the masters, you know, and, and going back to Saul Bass and Paul Rand and reading their books and, and figuring out all that stuff. But then, then I don't know when it was, but I started just finding so much inspiration in all this lost design that was created. You know, you, like when you're digging through an antique store and you find some package that who knows who the hell designed it. And, and it's from, you know, like 1945 uh, or it's, it's from a, like a war period or this or that. There's, there's, and you see some typography treatment that was done before, you know, it, 
before like it, you could it was it was obviously like hand done and or it was something a trend that you it's like a lost trend that has hasn't been done since then or it's it might be really difficult to do now because it's because the digital age has has you know changed people's creativity you know I, like i remember hearing this interview where this fellow was talking about uh I, it actually no he was I, I was talking to uh tim uh this fellow fellow tim who designs badges uh on the phone the other day and and he was saying that um when the computers came around because he, he's he's older than me by about 20 years he said when computers came around um he's like i was doing i would love doing hand-drawn typography you know whether it's sans serif or scripts and stuff like that and really like you know flexing flexing like what what you could do with it and he said that when the, the moment computers came around people were like oh why would you ever do that like we could just use fonts and we could just <laughs> to simplify it and, and it just evaporated <laughs> all this hand done typography and all these custom treatments and stuff just they went away for like he said for quite a long time most people weren't doing it and that was one of the reasons why his his work stuck out and that why he was able to you know have this have such a solid career is because he was still doing that and and it it looks different it looks better it, it's more unique and so going back and and, and going through museums of uh, like you know like whether it's like old train museum and you're looking at all the badges or like the way the icons are created on the um on uh, you know like inside the, the engines and stuff like that there's so much you can learn from these masters and from these people that did this all by hand and and they you know they, they weren't you know constrained by all the rules of a computer or like by the ease of like um how, how easy it is to do certain things on a computer so that people just start doing those things over and over again you know since everything was hard <laughs> and it took a long time uh the, the there were there were so many more options easily and readily available when when you're making design decisions and so and then also there were but there were printer constraints too and then so you're dealing with all that back then where it's like i have to make this beautiful design in two colors or or one color or three color you know and 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 you're trying to do a full-on illustration and then trying to figure a solve a way to do that in a really unique way or like the way the registration's off and you know like in trying to um in trying to like make the design like a little bit more hardy so they can withstand that yeah there's just there's so much to learn from these 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 great designers uh of the past you know and 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 I'm, and not just the famous ones but like all these people that you know they, they'll never know their name uh, I, I love it. And, and I learned so much from them. Um, you know, they're my teachers. <laughs> you <could say. laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, I can, I can see that in, in your work. Um, I, I love looking at, uh, vintage, uh, graphic design myself. And, uh, uh, when you find something really good, it's a little bit like finding a piece of treasure, isn't it? <laughs> so how do you go about finding so many old, uh, interesting things? Where, where are you looking? Well, uh, some places you can look. Uh, obviously, antique stores can be a great way, a great place to look. I'm usually an antique store further out of a, uh, a main city. You know, like the the stuff in the cities are usually more curated and picked through. But when you get further out, you know, there's just fewer people looking through them, and you find older things. Right. You know, in the cities, usually it's like stuff from the 70s and 80s, and sometimes a little bit older. And you get a little further out, all of a sudden you're in the 60s and 50s, and and you're getting you're getting older things and. Um, stuff that's a little bit more interesting to look at uh, at least for me just because it's before my time being born in 1980 um so uh, yeah antique stores but then also like uh, museums um especially like weird little small museums like little small town museums sometimes they'll have like hey you know here's the 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 
the Blue Earth Museum or something for this small little town, um, you know, like in, in southern Minnesota. And then you'll go down there and or like edit. I, I found them like where they anytime somebody has like some sort of museum ish thing, like we have a, this really big state fair here in Minneapolis and in Minnesota and um, I suppose in St. Paul. Uh, but we have the, uh, uh, this huge state fair here and they're known for it like uh, throughout the Midwest, like this big festival that's two weeks long and it's humongous. But like back in the corner, like I didn't find it till I'd been going there for years. There's this whole building that's just a, a museum to state fair history and like the, the, you know, all the all the like awards and things for, you know, like the little crests and badges, medallions, helmets that they'd wear in like demolition derbies and things that have like logos on the sides of them and really cool stuff. You know, it, you find this stuff in the most uh, like unexpected places sometimes. But um, one of the key things that, that, that I want to say that I, that I do, because um, not a lot of people, you know, some, some you, you brought up Aaron Draplin a couple of times. He'll he'll like collect lots of things and all he like has like drawers full of like antiques and mm-hmm. and tons of like his he just just so many of them. He just has it categorized and huge, like you know, it's probably so much money invested just in like flat files and and <laughs> cabinetry and things, <laughs> you know. And and it, we we live our life pretty simple here at our home. We we try and be we try and be pretty minimal. I, I do have some antiques that I own, but I have like just like two shelves of them, something like that. But I, I photograph and document them because that's really what I need. Like I want, I, I don't need a physical object. I don't need to hold it. I just, if I want, if I love the cup, the front and the side, I'll take the picture of the front and the side and, and I organize it and archive it, all the photography. And so that I have it all. And, and that's usually better for me anyways. Like if I use it to do a mood board, if I'm, you know, even if it's just a mood board for myself or I'm, I'm looking for um, unique bad shapes or custom typography treatments, you know, and things like that. And, and to be perfectly clear, I just want to make this, this portion clear. Sometimes people don't understand that, especially younger designers and they make the mistake. Um, when you're looking at this stuff and, and you're like, okay, I'm going to apply it and, and apply this to a project. I in no way encourage like taking something and just ripping it off and changing the words. <laughs> Wait, it, the, 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 the whole point is to be inspired by, you know, like maybe like, Oh, I love the way that they did that treatment, you know, that this inlining, I'm going to apply inlining or I'm going to, you know, like I love the way, they, the way that they link those letters together in a unique way. I'm going to link my letters together in a unique way, but it's part of a bigger picture. It's kind of like, um, I heard Dyson, uh, the, the fellow who created the, the vacuums, the Dyson mm-hmm. vacuum, I heard him speak and somebody had asked him, they're like, Hey, how do you innovate? He goes, Oh, that's easy. You find something that pisses you off about the way something works and you fix the problem. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that, like, I, there's something wrong with these things. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, like, a vacuum cleaner, right? He didn't create a vacuum cleaner. He just put a ball on the back of it so it's easier to maneuver, right? And so in the same way with a, with a logo, it's like you, like, might find something where, like, oh, that's a great stepping stone. I can use that. But how do I innovate and make it better and, 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 you know, add the ball on the back to make it so it maneuvers better, you know, like, I, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. but in, in terms of the design itself, like, how can I, how can I leverage this learning? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like anything. Um, when I, when I work on projects, I like to, um, when I'm looking at logos in particular, I'm not looking for something to copy. I'm trying to pinpoint like an aesthetic that I want to try and get across with yeah. what I'm doing. And uh, 
um, having those reference or that source material to uh, reference from wherever it's coming from, whether it's from a Google search or from, um, you know, going out there and looking in the world in the way that you are mm-hmm. copying, you know, that that's not the way it should be. It should always be inspired by or, yeah. or those things are there as a reference source. Yeah. Um, you know, all those images that you took, you should create that as a product, you know, like mm-hmm. as a, um, like a PDF book and like categorized, organized files because uh, uh, not everyone has the chance to travel around, you know, your part of the world, see all right. of those fascinating things. So if you don't already have that online somewhere, you should uh, consider making it a, a product in some way because it would be uh, fascinating to um, see. I've always, I've always thought about it. I would love to do it. I, I would like to write something too that went with it though. I, I don't want to... Yeah. Like more than just like a photo collage, you know. I I think it I think it could be a yeah a, a yeah. Story. I mean something like what Louise Feely does for like she's taken loads of pictures in like Barcelona and Paris, and she's released these books of um, like type typography on the streets, which is uh, it's a nice way to do it. So you know, doing something like that might be really good. Anyway, we've been speaking now for just over an hour. So I think it's probably a good point to wrap this up. We've covered loads of things. Um, I know we could have spoken for another uh, couple of hours, <laughs> but it's been absolutely incredible. I'm really uh, grateful for you um, coming on and sharing so much with us. So thank you so much, Alan, for your time. It's been amazing. Thank you, Ian. And, and thank you for your time. Thank you for, you know, researching your, your questions and, and you know, like spending some time to, to get this all put together. And and your level of professionalism it's it's uh you're definitely a craftsman and and i appreciate it that was such a fantastic interview if you enjoyed it as much as i did make sure you let both myself and alan know by giving us a shout out on social media if you want to learn more about alan peters head to his website petersdesigncompany.com alternatively head to the show notes for this episode where as I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, that I'll also include a link to the video that I mentioned uh, where Alan shares a number of examples of his work and also Alan was kind enough to share a pdf with examples of some of the things that he spoke about in his design process so make sure that you go and check out the show notes which also include links to uh, alan's website social channels uh, any resource we mentioned in the interview uh, as well as a full transcription of the interview itself too so to find out just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 96 Now, if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and almost 10,000 logo designers from around the world, make sure you join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's incredibly active. So you'll get your questions answered, the feedback that you want and the support that you need to grow and develop as a designer. To find it, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community. Or if you do a search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community, you will find it that way too. So that is it for this week. But I'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast.